Father, we just come and continue to lift up in prayer, recognizing, realizing, acknowledging that you are God, that you love us, you absolutely adore us. God, we recognize that as we come before you as a church family, as, as families, as individuals, that we each have a need. We each have something going on in our life that we need your intervention. We need you to step in. We, we need faith in you, that you'll be who you are, and that's God, and we know you will be. And God, we lift up our country. We lift up our, our nation, our city, our government, everything to you. But the only thing we can truly control is who we are. So as a church family today and those listening online and watching, I just pray that give us the faith that we need to be who you've called us to be. And God, we thank you for this time where we can meet together, where we can sing, we can give, we can worship, we can hear the teaching, the preaching of your word, we can be challenged by the scriptures, and we can come together to worship. So bless this time as only you can. Speak to our hearts. Do a work on the inside of us, God, that only you can do. And again, we recognize who you are, and we ask you to, to move among us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's good to see you. You glad to be here? All right. Yeah, that's good. I, I'm really, I'm really mean. It's good to see you. I had a great service in the 8:30 service, but I, I shared with them. I know we're stretching some of you. We're pushing some of you, right? You're having to to sit in places you've never sat before. That's stretching some of you. I know. I mean, some of you have never sat down here this close. I mean, that's just it's awkward, isn't it, Dan? It's like, oh man, a little close. You want me? I'll back up. Is that all right? That'll, that'll be a little more natural, you know. Some of you got your own seats. I don't know. Did y'all pay off the ushers, or what'd you do, Tate? You give them a tip or something. Say, hey, man, I want to sit in my seat. But I know we're stretching you and pushing you some, but it's it's a good thing. You ready to celebrate? Now, come on. Are you ready to celebrate? All right. We had two people in 830 service except Christ as our personal Savior. Yes. That's awesome, isn't it? I mean, in and through all of this, God is still moving. God is still doing what he does, and that is being God and saving souls and reconciling uh, relationships to himself and restoring relationships. So we're excited about that. But let me encourage you with this, right? That happened because somebody invited them. Somebody invited them to come. They, they didn't just get on and sign their family up or sign themselves up. They invited someone to come with them. So remember this, right? A simple invite can simply change a life. A simple invite can simply change a life. So invite someone to come with you. I am excited to announce to you, uh, we're going to begin our faith groups, but it's going to look a little bit different. And what I mean by that, our faith groups are what you would call Sunday school. I'm just going to use that so you have an idea. Uh, we meet on Sunday mornings at 10 usually. But in all of this, we've looked at it, prayed about it, walked through it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to begin our faith groups June 10th. That's a Wednesday evening at 630. Now, this is for all ages, for adults, students, kids, and we'll have a nursery. Okay, so we're going to do June 10th, not this Wednesday, but the next one. We'll begin faith groups. We're going to carry this through the summer and see how we're doing then and go from there. So I encourage you, you can sign up online for those or just show up at 630, pick a class. If you're an adult, the kids will go by age. Students will go upstairs on the porch. We're going to be safe while we're doing this, but we're going to do it. So I'm excited to announce that to you. Uh, we need that, that community. 
And we need those meetings, that interaction with people. So uh, don't forget, faith groups, June 10th, 6.30. We're going to continue with our, our faith series this morning, uh, but I'm going to start it this way. When I was coaching football in Texas, uh, we always had what we called the big play. And the big play was the play on the bottom of the play sheet. That was when we needed a big play in the game, what did we call? The big play. Yeah, I reach really deep for that one, right? And we call the big play. But I have to confess to you today that, that we would put that in place, we would work on it, we'd practice it, and we'd have it in our back pocket on the bottom of the play sheet anytime we needed a momentum shift, anytime we needed a, a touchdown or hopefully a score or just a change, right? We needed a big play. It was there ready to go. But I have to confess, I never, ever once in my life coaching 15 years had faith in the big play. Not one, I never did. Now, I'm an optimist, right? I'm a glass half full kind of guy, but I was the biggest pessimist when it came to that stupid big play. When we needed something, I thought, eh, that's not going to work. There's no way that's going to work. You know, because usually it was unconventional. It was a trick play or whatever. And so I was always reluctant to call the big play. I mean, I had a coach one time screaming in my ear, call the big play, right? Just screaming in my ear. And I'm thinking, well, great. You just told them what we're going to do. So now I'm not doing it. Right? I had an excuse, but it, I, was, I did not have faith in that big play. And as we continue to talk about faith this morning, I want you to keep that in mind, and I'll reference it back. Uh, I lacked confidence in that. We've been going through the book of James, and I want to ask you something this morning. How's your faith in God? I had no faith in that big play. But how's, how's your and my faith in God this morning? The book of James is full of all kinds of practical advice for us. James was the, the half-brother of Jesus, and James actually didn't become a true believer in who Jesus was until after Jesus' resurrection. If you can imagine that, he was the half-brother of Jesus, and he, and he really didn't have faith in him until after his resurrection. But it's jam-packed. It's only five chapters. It's 108 verses. A little short book at the, book at the end of the, the New Testament. But yet it's packed full of everything we need what we need during a crisis. So turn to James chapter 1 this morning, if you would. And as you turn in there, I want to reference the hall of faith. And, and let me just encourage you as you go to James chapter 1, uh, none of these scriptures are going to be on the screen today. And, and for a reason, I want you to bring your Bible to church. I encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Sometimes it's real easy because we throw everything on the screen that, that we don't even, you know, have the Word of God with us. So if you got your app or your phone or your Bible, go ahead, get James 1 open because we're going to use that as a text. We're going to work through it today. Uh, but as you're going there, I want to talk about Hebrews chapter 11 real quick. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the hall of faith in the word of God. It, it's, it's all about these people of faith. And, and as I think about the hall of faith, it wasn't, it wasn't their faith in God during the good times that got them into Hebrews chapter 11. It wasn't their faith in God when things were easy that got them into Hebrews chapter 11. It was their faith in God during the trials, during the hardships, during the difficulties that got them in to Hebrews chapter 11. That's what got them in there. And understand that, that as, we, as we look and read Hebrews chapter 11, these are all kinds of people from all kinds of different walks of life. I mean, there were people that, that had money and people that didn't 
didn't have money. There were people that came from a rich pedigree and those that didn't. There were people, in, or are people in Hebrews 11, who were real close to God when the trial or the t uh, struggle came and they, they displayed faith in God. But there were also people in Hebrews 11 who were not close to God, who were kind of drifted away from God in their relationship. But when the, the trial came, when the difficulty came, they displayed a faith in God even in that time. So Hebrews 11 is full of all kinds of people. And it says this, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Okay, it's talking about faith. And verse two says, for by it, it, faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Now I want to stop there. For by faith, the elders attained good testimony. It wasn't by, by attending a church service, we got a great testimony. It wasn't by reading the, God, the, the word of God that we got a great testimony. Those are good things. We should do those things. But it's the faith that set them apart. And it was the faith in the difficult times. It was their faith when they had a choice to make. Do I, do I have faith in God? Do I have faith in something else? That's what set them apart. And, and it says here, for by it, their faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you again, how's your faith today? How's your faith? It goes on, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Right? It's a faith in God that God wants. It then goes on to tell us about the faith of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, of Sarah and Jacob, of Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, and many others. Of all the things that you can have or do, it's faith that pleases God the most. As a matter of fact, in verse 6 there in Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So one more time, how's your faith today? How's your faith? See, every one of these Christians in Hebrews 11 experienced the trials and displayed the, that displayed the depth of their faith. And it was an amazing thing. So write this down if you're taking notes today. Success for God is determined by your faith in God. Success for God is determined by your faith in God. Success is not determined by prestige or by titles or by how many letters behind your name for education's sake. Those are, those are okay things. Success for God is determined by your faith in God. How's your faith today? The Holy Spirit has James write this short letter to encourage those who are going through a crisis and explains the kind of faith that they needed and also the kind of faith that we need. The kind of faith that works when life doesn't work. The kind of faith that pleases God. So in James chapter 1 and verse 2, the word of God says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, what I want to do here in this passage, I want to focus this morning on the word knowing. He says, when you, when you know certain things, when you're, when you're going through certain things and you know this, you're going to have a much better perspective on what you're going through, on the problems and the trials and the crisis. See, our success in handling the stress and the strain during a current crisis or any other crisis is going to be determined by what we know. The clearer our perspective is, the more stable and strong we're going to be when the heat's on. So again, write this down. 
Perspective feeds your faith, and faith gives you confidence. That word knowing, what do you know today? What do you know about God today? Do you know that he is God, that he is sovereign, that he'll never let you down, that he hasn't left you or forsaken you, no matter what trial you're going through, no matter what your financial status looks like or what your relationships look like? Do you know that God has your best interest at heart? Is that what you know today? See, perspective, knowing that kind of God, believing that kind of God, feeds your faith. And faith gives you confidence. If you're lacking confidence, you're lacking faith. And you're probably lacking faith because you don't really trust God or believe or know that he has your best interest at heart. Perspective is huge. I did not have a good perspective when it came to calling the big play in football. I didn't. I didn't believe that it was going to work, so therefore I didn't know it was going to work, for therefore I didn't have faith that it was going to work. It all ties in together. I had no faith in calling that big play. James doesn't want us, and he doesn't waste any words in beginning this book as he immediately starts teaching some truths about trials. So if you're taking notes, write these down. First question is this, what can we know about trials? What can we know? Not think, not assume. What can we know? The first one is this, trials are inevitable. Look at verse 2. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Notice he doesn't say, if trials come into your life. And James wasn't the first person to say this. Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have tribulations. Peter wrote one time, he said, uh, don't be surprised when trials happen in your life. None of us are immune to trials. None of us are isolated from them. None of us are exempt from them. We need to know they're inevitable in life. And knowing that trials are a part of life allows me to not, not ask the question why during the trial. What that does for us is this. When I know that God has my best interest at heart, and when I know that he can use this trial uh, to do what he's going to do to bring good out of it, when I know those, when I believe that with everything inside of me, when I live that kind of life, then I don't live in the question of why me when a trial comes. I don't live in the question of, well, well Lord, I'm loving you and I'm serving you and I'm, I'm going to church and I'm reading my Bible. Why did this happen to me? Why me, Lord? See, the right perspective and knowing that trials are going to come and that they're inevitable is this. It moves me quickly from the why me to Lord, how can you use this trial for good? Quickly I move there because faith moves me there. Lack of faith lives in why me, that pity party we throw at times. But the faith in God moves me to God, I believe you, I trust you, you can bring good out of this. So how do I take a step of faith in here? How do I grow in faith during this? So know that trials are ine inevitable. Uh, if you went to college, uh, you found out real quick that there were required courses and elective courses, right? Required courses are what you had to take to get your degree. Elective courses were you had to fill some hours to go towards your degree, but you got to choose what you, you wanted to do. I took PE four times from first year of college. <laughs> I was like, why would I do any other elective? I played volleyball like five hours a day. I mean, my first year of college, that's what I, I mean, it was just fun. That's what I wanted to do, and I got credit for it. Trials are not elective courses. It's not something that we get to choose because they're a part of life. They're inevitable. What else can we know? Well, we can know that trials will vary. They're not all alike. You know this from experience, right? Trials come in all sizes, all shapes. They come in more than 31 flavors. 
They come from different situations and they come from different people. Verse 2, God has James used the word various when talking about trials. That Greek word actually means uncertain or manifold. They're just, they can be all over the place. They're various. There's a lot of them. They come from any and all directions in life. So what can I know about trials? I know they're inevitable and I know they, they vary. And then I also know that they're unpredictable. Right? They usually catch us by surprise. Trials don't warn you in advance. They just show up when you least expect it. Verse 2 says, when you fall in two. Right? How many of you just you know, got up one day and thought, you know, I'm just going to fall down today? Anybody do that? I think that'll be fun. I think I, think I just want to fall down today. Y'all put that in your plan on your schedule? Two o'clock, going to fall down. Is that what you did? I remember we, we opened this auditorium and, and I had to come to the green room one day back here during the day. And, and I just thought, why turn on the lights? It'll waste electricity. Why would I do that? You know, we have these brain dead moments, right? Y'all ever have those? So I walk down this aisle and it's dark and I get here and I finally find the step and I go up the steps and I walk and I bump into a couple of things and I go around in the dark to the green room, get what I'm going to get. And then I head back out and I got to this first step and I missed it. And I went down hard. And that is not soft ground. That's not grass. It's not dirt. Right? That's cement. And I went down hard. And I laid there for a minute trying to figure out if I was really hurt or not. You ever done that? <laughs> Going, did I break something? Did I hurt my, you know? I'm laying there in the dark. And then the, immediately I think, I am telling no one about this. Right? <laughs> Do that too. Nobody's hearing about this. And it wasn't, a, I don't know if it was the next week or the week after in staff meeting where I told the staff, man, I walked through in the dark. Don't do this. Don't be an idiot. I fell down the steps. I landed. I rolled. I laid there. I got up and said I wouldn't tell anybody. So don't do that, guys. <laughs> Josh says, I did that the other day too. <laughs> he was right there with me. Didn't your iPad fly somewhere? Didn't you? Yeah, it went flying. We don't plan to fall. And he says, when you fall, it's going to happen. We don't plan. It's like, it's like a flat tire. How many of you say, you know, I got two, two free hours today. I think I'll just have a flat. Anybody do that? No, it comes when you got to get there now. And what happens? You got a flat tire or, or, you know, the baby throws up on you on the way to church and you're going, really, really? We were just going to make it on time. I have a question. I need to ask this. Let's see who'll be honest. How many of y'all showed up at 1050 today or 1055? Anybody? Nobody. Wow, we did a good job of getting that out there at least. Figured we'd have a few walk in and go, wow, the singing's already over? See, what makes a problem, a problem is they, kept, they catch us off guard. We don't schedule on Tuesday. You know, all the trials I'm going to go through this week, uh, from 2 to 4 on Tuesday, I'll go through all my trials, and the rest of the week will be great. They're unpredictable. We can know that. And then we can also know that trials are purposeful. There's a purpose behind the trial, which means there's a purpose for the problem. Look at verse 3. Knowing, that word again, that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, if you don't mind circling in your Bible or highlighting in your app, circle the word produces. Trials produce something in us. They come to produce something in us. So what's God teaching us? He's teaching us that while trials are inevitable and while they vary and while they're unpredictable, they will produce something in us if we allow them to. He's saying that stress and suffering uh, can accomplish something good in our lives. That stress and suffering can have value in our lives if we have the right perspective. Because perspective leads to faith. So God is teaching us something here that I want us to get. We can know certain things about trials. 
so that we don't live in this why me phase. We immediately move to God, how, how can this bring you honor and glory? How can I just remain faithful to you during these difficult times? So we, we know what they can do. But what should we know about trials? We can know those things. But what should we know about trials? Well, trials absolutely 100% test our faith. Verse 3 tells us that. Knowing that the testing of your faith, whether you're a student here today, an adult here today, a grandma or grandpa here today, or a child here today, I don't care. Trials come to test our faith. You want to know where you are with God? Trial will come and it'll show you. Temptation will come and it'll show you. It'll show me where I am. You know, it's no different than a muscle. If we, to work, to, for a muscle to, to remain where it is or remain, keep its strength or to grow, it has to be put under stress, right? We have to stretch it. We have to test it. We have to put it under some kind of strain in order to, to use the muscle and to keep it where it is. If we don't, then it begins to deteriorate and wear away. It's what happens with the muscle. Faith is no different. In order for us to grow in our faith, we have to go through the trials and the crisis and the struggles. We need to have it tested and stretched and challenged. And I know right now, the heat may be on in your life in a crisis. The last couple of months have, have tested your patience, tested your finances, tested your marriage, and tested other relationships. I, I get it. You may have lost your job, and good night. We all know that the kids already had a summer, right, from March, and now we're just going into summer. What is going on here? That's definitely testing everybody's patience and, and faith, right? I mean, it's just where we are. The, the classic example of faith being tested is Job. Job was loving God and serving God, and yet his faith got tested. And if you know the story, at the end, God doubled what he had at the start of it because he remained faithful. It's all about faith. Sometimes we think it's bad what's going on in our life when actually it's preparing us for something good. Years ago, I read a story about a man who at 40 years old had worked in a sawmill since he was a teenager. And a recession came. And during that recession, the boss walked in. He had been in this job for almost 20 years. And the boss walked in and told him, We're no, your services are no longer required here. Let him go, laid him off. And this man said, I was crushed. I was devastated. I had a wife. I have kids. I had a mortgage. I have bills. I have responsibilities. And he didn't know what he was going to do. And walking out of that office, he said, I, I was lost. I was crushed. I was devastated. He said, I got in my car and I just went and drove somewhere. And I just sat there wondering, what am I going to do? Eventually, he went home, sat down, told his wife, said they cried together. They prayed together. And they went to bed. And the next morning, his wife got up, and she went in the kitchen, and her husband was sitting there at the table. And his whole countenance was different. There were, she could tell there was a hope. And she said, how are you doing? She asked him. And he said, I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> she said, what is going on? Yesterday, you were depressed. You were, you were miserable and, and, and uncertain and didn't know what was going on. What changed? And he said, I got up this morning, and I just asked God, what do you want me to do now? What do you want me to do now? He got out of the why me, and he moved to God. What do you want me to do now? What kind of faith do you want me to have now? And he said, here's what God told me. He said, I didn't create you to work in a sawmill your whole life. 
He said, I created you to do something else. He said, so here's what we're going to do. He looked at his wife, right? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to mortgage our house and I'm going to start a business because God wants me to build something. And she said, do what? (laughs) You're going to mortgage what? During a recession? And he said, God has always put in me to build something. I stayed at the sawmill because it was comfortable, because it paid the bills, because it was easy. And God showed me this morning that that he's pushing me. He wants to stretch me. He wants me to step out in faith and trust him during this time. So he mortgaged the house, and he, he started a business. And the first two things he built were two little small hotels Took him a couple years, and they got up and running. And within five years, he was a multimillionaire. And he had started a company, and he called these hotels Holiday Inn. And Howard Johnson tells this story, that if he could find the man that let him go, that laid him off, that it was so difficult for that man to do, he understood that, he would walk up to him and shake his hand and say, thank you, because God used you to push me. God used you to stretch me. God used you to get me where he wanted me to be during that hard time, that trial, that uncertain time. God used you, and I thank you so much for that. Howard Johnson said this, At that time when it happened, I didn't understand why I was let go. Only later could I see that it was God's hand. It was God's unerring and wondrous plan to get me into the career of his choosing. See, folks, we often see in hindsight what we can't see in foresight. So the first thing that trials do, the first purpose of them is to test our faith. Am I going to... Be faithful to God during this crisis. Am I going to be faithful to God during this difficult time? And then the second thing they do is this. Trials develop endurance. Trials develop endurance. Our text says this. It produces patience. How does a crisis, a trial, produce patience? Well, it creates in us a trust and a faith in God, knowing that he is working through this trial. See, it's not our job to figure everything out. It's not our job to know every step along the way. It's not our job uh, to have a plan in place during a crisis to know exactly what's going to happen. It's our job as believers in Christ to just trust God by faith. That he sees all the steps. And he's going to show me one at a time, maybe two, what I need to do. That's our job. It's to walk by faith. And we walk by faith. It produces patience the testing the trial produces patience faith in God is in short supply in our culture right now amen most people today give up too soon they don't trust the process so we want to take it over ourselves God doesn't show us in time or timely fashion what his plan is so we lose the faith and we take over and God steps back and says let me know how that works out for you and we make a mess of it Trials develop endurance. It produces patience. God wants a people of faith. How's your faith today? And then trials mature my character. What do trials do for me? They mature my character. They test my faith. They develop endurance and they mature my character. Look at verse 4. It says, but let patience have its perfect work. It's the process of maturity. That word perfect is, is a maturing process. That you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. 
A man or woman of maturity, a man or woman of has no weak spots, a man or woman or teenager or child, right, with godly character is something that God's proud of. Have you seen my daughter? Have you seen my son? They're faithful to me no matter what. No matter what life throws at them, no matter what difficulties come their way, they have faith in me. Have you seen them? So proud of them. There was a study conducted one time in Russia, and it was on the effect of how different living conditions affected animals. Now listen to this. This It's interesting. Something that we already know. So they took animals, and they put some of them in very comfortable situations. Very complacent. Said everything's taken care of for them. Life is not hard. Everything's provided. And then they took some other animals and they put them in difficult living positions where they had to scratch and claw and fight for anything that they had. Guess which set of animals lived longer? The ones that had to fight for everything. The ones that had to scratch and claw. The ones that had to didn't know and they weren't comfortable. Oh, that sounds like me at times. When life gets really comfortable, I get really complacent. I don't need much faith because everything's good. That ring a bell with anybody else here? But when the trials come and the hardships come and the crisis come and the answers aren't there, that's when our faith really gets tested. So how does God want us to respond to the trials that we're going through? Well, one, uh, James 1 gives us the answers. Okay, it's radical. It's countercultural. May surprise some of you, but I want you to hear them from the word of God today. How should we respond knowing that we're to be a people of faith? The first one is this, rejoice knowing God is working. How should I respond during the crisis? What's my response? What should it be? Rejoice. James chapter 1 and verse 2, read it again. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now I can, I can read that 50 times and it still blows my mind. Count it all joy when you go through the various trials. I don't want to be joyful through the trial. How about you? It's not fun. It hurts. It pushes me. It stretches me. count Count it all joy. What? God wants us to rejoice knowing that he is working. It reminds me of of Joseph, if you know the story of Joseph at all. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. That sounds like a good time, doesn't it? And then he goes through some major difficulties and trials in his life. Some, th- some of the things that none of us will ever go through. Joseph goes through them. And through every one of them, he remains faithful to God. He had no control of his circumstances. He had no control of how people treated him, what they accused him of. He had no control over any of that. And yet Joseph remained faithful because that's the only thing he had control over was his faith in God. And at the end, in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, his brothers come before him, the ones that sold him into slavery, and they were afraid because Joseph, what's he going to do? He recognized his brothers. He's going to take vengeance on them. They sold him into slavery. And Joseph looked at his brothers, and he made that famous biblical statement when he said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Put your crisis there. Put that person that hurt you there. Put the difficulty you're going through there. Put the financial strain, relational strain, whatever whatever it is, your trial, put it there. And what Satan means for evil, what somebody else meant for evil, God means for good. Do you believe that today? Do you have that kind of faith today? 
That's the faith that God wants us to have. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now listen, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He's not saying deny the trial. He's not saying pretend there's no problem. He's not saying fake it till you make it. He's not saying put on that plastic smile and go around singing. You know, and the sun will come out tomorrow. It's not what he's saying. He's saying be joyful knowing that he can bring good out of this if we remain faithful. Know that. See, it's a choice to rejoice. Do you know that? It's a choice to rejoice. So rejoice knowing God is working, and then rely on God. Our scripture says, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. Rely on God. If I'm trusting God, walking by faith in God, then I'll rely on God and nothing else because I know, I know that my God will bring good out of this. He has my best interest at heart. So rejoice knowing that God can use this problem, this trial for his good and his honor and his glory and then rely on God because he is helping you during this time and me. And then lastly is this. You ready? Absolutely refuse to quit. Never quit. Don't quit. I know it's hard. I know it hurts. I know we don't see the end. I know we want answers now. But if we're going to be a people of faith, we absolutely can't ever, ever, ever quit on God. That's not faith. It's the endurance part. If we quit, we lose faith. If we've lost faith, then we're hopeless. If we're hopeless, we're not truly living by faith. See, faith produces hope, and hope produces trust, and trust produces patience. Patience produces endurance. How do I make it through the trial? How do I make it through the crisis? How do I make it through? It all begins with faith, because faith produces hope. Hope produces trust. Trust produces confidence. Confidence produces endurance. Is your faith in God growing stronger during this crisis? I want you to answer that. Is your faith in God growing stronger? Is your faith in God stronger today than it was a month ago? See, the only two questions that really matter are these. Will we turn to God for help? Will we turn to God for help? And will we let God teach us and grow us during these times to grow our faith in him? Perspective, feed your faith, and faith gives you confidence. Do you know that God has your best interest at heart? Do you know that today? Is your faith in God like mine was in the big football play? Right? We planned it. We practiced it. We got ready to use it. But when it came time, I was very, very reluctant because I had no faith that it would work. Is your faith in God like that today? You can talk about it. You read about it. You hear messages on it. But when we walk out of here and life hits us in the face, and it's hard, it can be cruel at times, does faith come out? Does faith shine? Does faith move you from why me? Poor me. What are we going to do? That panic and fearful mode? Does faith move you to God? 
I absolutely trust you during this situation. I have faith in you, knowing these things. Bow your head with me, please. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want to read you the last verse today. James chapter 1 and verse 12. Just listen to it. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. How do we endure? It all begins with faith. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he has been approved, when he's gone through the trials and the testing, when he's made it through with faith in God, knowing that God's there, when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. We need a faith that grows through the trials. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I have a question for everybody today who's listening online and here in our auditorium. Has there been a time where you stepped out by faith and trusted Jesus Christ to save you from your sin? Now, maybe you're, maybe you're a teenager here today. Maybe you're a kid here today, fourth, fifth grade. I don't know. But, but I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you know in your heart of hearts that you put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you from your sins? Maybe you made a profession one day. Maybe you did it because your parents wanted you to. Maybe you did it because it was a youth camp and everybody else was doing it. But I'm asking you today, right now, in your heart of hearts, do you know Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith and only your faith in him to save you from your sins. What about you as an adult here today? You come today and you're searching during this times. You want a hope beyond what this world has to offer. And you're here today and, and we talk about faith, but you don't really know because you've never really trusted God in this area of faith. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to pray for you. God, we come today. And I thank you that your word is true. I have faith that it is. And we thank you for who you are. Once again, acknowledging you're sovereign. You are God. You know all. You see all. And God, you know exactly where our hearts are. And you know what's going on in each and every individual life and families today. And you know why that trial's there, that trouble there, that situation's there. But yet, for all of us, it's the same. You want us to display a faith in you that other people see. And I just wonder today if, if husbands were to speak of wives or wives were to speak of husbands or teenagers speak of parents, parents speak of teenagers. If, if in that conversation it said, describe that person to me, if, if it would be in there somewhere that, that they have an amazing faith in God, would that be a description used of us? And if not, help us to, to move towards that, to choose that, to, to, to be that person of faith. I know... I just wonder, in the conversations we have about today, if we were to ask our kids, <laughs> what does mom and dad talk about the most? Would it be fear, the troubles, the trials, the situations, the difficulties? Or would the kids say, I, I don't know, I just know they have a faith in God, that God's working in and through this. I wonder what our kids would say about us. So Father, I just pray that as your children, <laughs> At Faith Baptist Church, that we'd be a people of faith. If not, we might as well just be Baptist Church. Help us to be that people of faith, not just here, but as we leave today and we face the realities of life, that we would choose 
to have the right perspective, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience, maturity. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And God's people said, amen. Thank you for being here today. Don't forget, invite somebody to come with you to church. Thanks for being here. If you uh, want to meet with me, we'll be right here down front.